Hello and welcome to Mr. President from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. The American continents, by the free and independent condition which they have assumed and maintained, are henceforth not to be considered as subjects for future colonization by any European powers. We should consider any attempt on their part to extend their system to any portion of this hemisphere as dangerous to our peace and safety. President starring Edward Arnold. Mr. President, the man in the White House, the man chosen by his fellow citizens as our first citizen. We invite you now to become better acquainted with one of America's greatest men. These are transcribed stories of the men who have lived in the White House. Dramatic, exciting, but little-known events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear. True human stories of Mr. President. Our Mr. President drama will begin in just a moment. Perhaps you don't believe in the kind of ghosts that are supposed to haunt houses... But there are other kinds. There are ghosts of words once spoken, ideas once held, personalities once present. Take, for instance, a tour of our nation's capital. Here, you think, Lincoln once stood as he pondered the problems of a country at war. Even as you look, your fancy conjures up the picture of that tall, gaunt figure stooped in thought. There, you muse, sat Washington, Jefferson, Madison, and Monroe, discussing the future of the newborn nation. And as imagination takes hold, the powdered wigs and lace cuffs seem more real than reality itself. These are the memories, the all-pervasive ghosts of Washington. But for those of us who are unable to visit the Capitol, the same warm familiarity with the heroes of America's past is possible through the program Mr. President, starring Edward Arnold. So listen now and see if you can name the president upon whom this episode is based. After more than two years of war, the nation looked forward to an era of peace and goodwill. The new president had made a successful three-and-a-half-month tour of the country, and his popularity had attained a very high level. Yet no one realized better than he the seriousness of the problems confronting our government. As an experienced diplomat and statesman, he knew the value of psychology. And as a devoted husband and father, he knew something important that happened to his teenage daughter. He's a very likely youngster, Sam Governor is. But you're both entirely too young to get into anything serious. Oh, Papa, you're so old-fashioned. I'm almost 16. Well, lots of girls get... I don't give a hoot about lots of girls. I do about you. Mind that now, Mariah. Yes, Papa. Mm, Papa? Yes, dear. Why is Sam making an inventory of all that furniture the government bought for the White House? Because Senator Galen and the other opposition leaders have been making peculiar noises about calling me to account for the cost of it. But it's beautiful furniture, the best in the world, isn't it? That isn't the point, Raya. The opposition doesn't realize the real reason I wanted it to be as fine as it was possible to order. You see, as a democracy, it's been the policy for many years for the president to be as socially informal as possible. Mm-hmm. That's the democratic spirit, isn't it? It is, and it's admirable up to a point. 
but the Secretary of State and I both agree that that point has been reached. Because of so much White House informality, the diplomatic corps has fallen into the habit of not taking our international relations very seriously. They condescend to our representatives as though we were a small and unimportant province. Well, then they don't understand Americans. Exactly. So we're changing all that. Your mother and I are as formal as possible. Our invitations are sent out according to strict protocol. I will return no calls under any circumstances. And the ambassador knows he can have an appointment with me whenever he needs it. But they're also learning that the request must come through formal channels. In this way, they're gradually realizing that we take our international problems deadly serious. Oh, I didn't realize what happened in the drawing room was so important. It is the battleground of the diplomats, and therefore it's very important. Right now, our problems with Spain and with Russia are in a very critical state. Great Britain has always treated us patronizingly in our diplomatic relations. France is our friend, but even France doesn't recognize us as a social equal. Oh, I see. But they will, Mariah. By heaven, they will. Pension snuff, Mr. President. Oh, thank you, John. Now, what's this I hear about your daughter Mariah and your assistant secretary? Mm, so the news has even reached my secretary of state, has it? Yes, John, they seem very much in love. Yeah, good for Mariah. Though well, she is mighty young, isn't she? She's entirely too young, and her mother and I have both told her so. But Sam's a good lad, and she's a good girl. As long as they're patient about it, Eliza and I are in favor of the idea. A very sensible attitude. And uh, speaking of social matters, my wife has had another run-in with Mrs. Smith. <laughs> Mrs. Smith is a charming lady. She's also a spoiler. She is charming. She ruled the social roost here in Washington so long, she can't face the fact that things have changed. She thinks both your lady and my own should have called long ago on the wives of the new senators. <laughs> Still hopping on that issue. And, of course, it gives Gaylord and his group another teacup argument against your administration. We'll stick by our guns. The president's wife will return no calls. The wife of the secretary of state will return calls only to the ladies she has already received. The diplomats' wives understand that, don't they? They seem to, sir. And it's the diplomatic corps this policy was instigated to impress. The Spanish ambassador, especially. Exactly. And how is the senor treating us these days? Well, he's still puzzled at our insistence that the Floridas were included in the Louisiana purchase. Puzzled? <laughs> He'll be a heap more than puzzled if he doesn't tell his government how strongly we insist on it. We've just come through one war, Mr. President. I don't think the country is in any frame of mind for another one. I know it isn't, John. Neither am I. And if saber-rattling is the only language the Spanish ambassador understands, then that's the language we'll talk. Of course, the opposition keeps the mud stirred up so that foreign diplomats aren't really sure just how strong the administration is. The opposition stirs its mud in teacups over picky own questions like the cost of the chair you're sitting in and whose wife has been snubbed by whom. They ought to wear pantalettes. Then you don't underestimate this drawing-room opposition from the Gaelic crowd, do you? Oh, no, I do not. You say the Spanish ambassador wonders just how strong my administration is? Well, so do I. And the best way to find out is to answer Senator Gaylord face to face. (laughs) 
Now, you must understand, my dear sir, that my committee's interest in the cost of your White House furniture is entirely impersonal. Then I'll try to keep my explanations equally so, Senator Gillard. It isn't you, we feel, should explain, but the Commissioner of Public Buildings, Mr. Lane. Now, Mr. Lane, as you know, has been a very sick man. Would you say he was too sick for the competent administration of his duties? You think there's been extravagance in the refurnishing of the White House? Mr. Lane was granted the towering sum of 50,000 American dollars to get the White House in proper shape. I know nothing about that. I know there was a great deal of haste about getting it ready in time to receive foreign diplomats with an impressiveness that would do justice to this country. Uh, Here's a list of the purchases I myself had a hand in. Why, Mr. President, this... Excuse me, sir, but it's fantastic. Fantastic? Four silver casseroles, $402.97 and a half cents. A, a bread basket, $74.81 and a quarter cents. Two soup ladles, $9.56 and a quarter cents. Uh, you must remember there was practically nothing left of the White House furnishing, Senator. I sold the government my own best furniture, household linen, silver and dishes. If you got such prices for the others as you did for the silver, you certainly struck a bargain. $9,071.22.5, quite a windfall, quite a windfall. I have a suggestion, Senator Galen. Uh, why don't you, with your full committee, if you choose, let me take you on an inspection tour of the White House. You can see for yourself where the money has gone. A tour won't be necessary, sir. I've seen more than enough to confirm my suspicions. I'll have more to say after I see Mr. Lane. Then you'll kindly say what you have to say on the floor of the Senate. Uh, what's this? Because I've heard more than enough from you, sir. Good day. Yes, come in. It's me, Papa. Oh, right. Come in here, young lady. Close that door. I won't disturb you, Papa. I just wanted to report that I've returned one secretary to you in good condition. So your mother was right. You did go gallivanting off with Sam Gouverneur. We didn't plan to, Papa. Honestly, we we were having lunch and saying what a beautiful day it was. And, well, the next thing I knew, we were driving out towards Alexandria. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, Papa, if Sam and I... Are... Now, now, don't look at me as though I were about to put you on the rack. But I do need Sam for an important errand. Errand? What is it? Can I be told? Yes, but don't shout it from the rooftops. Mr. Lane has disappeared. Disappeared? Yes, just when the Gaylord Committee is looking for him to account for $50,000. Well, Mr. President, my congratulations on a very successful levy. Well, thank you, Senator Gaylord. You're very kind. Oh, uh, I'd like you to meet a very talented young friend of mine. This is Edward Bascom. How do you do, sir? How do you do? Welcome to the White House. Well, thank you, Mr. President. This is the greatest honor I've ever had. Mr. Bascom has just arrived in Washington from Columbia. His daddy owns a weekly journal down there, and Ed here is a brand new reporter for the Washington Intelligence Center. Oh, that's fine. My sincere best wishes for your early and continued success, Mr. Bascom. Even though you do represent a journal opposed to my party by tradition. Well, thank you, Mr. President. Traditions are often made to be broken. Well, I'll just leave you two alone. If you don't mind, I'd like to pay my respects to the Vice President. Certainly, Senator. Mr. Bascom, may I offer you some punch? No, no, thank you, sir. Uh, 
I was particularly anxious to take advantage of Senator Gaylord's friendship for this introduction to you in the light of the Lane disappearance. Oh, yes? Odd that the man should drop out of sight just when he was about to be called to account for a fortune. Yes, very odd. And mighty embarrassing, too. I'm sure my paper has no wish to embarrass you personally, Mr. President. (laughs) You sure? (laughs) You must be a very young reporter indeed. Uh, No, what I meant was... Well, an agreement could easily be reached on the Lane matter and anything equally important in the future. An agreement, you say? Oh, yes, sir. If I had the assurance that when information did come to you, my paper would receive it slightly in advance, well, I'm sure our opposition to you would be, uh, well-tempered. Mm, this is very gracious. But the president must always treat all members of the press exactly the same at all times. There can be no inside tracks at any time. You realize, of course, that if we should locate Sam Lane before your sympathizers... I realize only too well how your side will treat the matter, Mr. Bascom. I can't help that. And at the same time, you have my assurance that if we find the gentleman before you do, you will be informed of it as soon as anyone else, but not one moment sooner. That very likely won't satisfy my editor. Very likely. But not satisfying your editor is an old habit of mine. The White House as a source of news must be as impartial as the news itself. That is one of the things that keeps our press free. And I needn't tell you that without a free press, we would soon cease to have a free land. And like all freedom, freedom of the press carries with it a grave responsibility. Just as the president is often responsible for deciding what is to be made public, so the press is responsible for treating the news as impartially as it is made. In that sense, both the president and the press regardless of policy, share the enormous responsibility of fairly representing all the people all the time. Well, have you figured out yet who the president was when all this happened? It really did happen, you know. The president's personal discomfort because of Lane's disappearance was completely overshadowed by an event of national and historic importance. On the day he first learned of it, the president was in his White House office with his daughter Mariah. At that time, the sudden vanishing of Lane was still uppermost in his mind. I just don't understand it, Papa. Oh, it's clear enough, Mariah. But still, he's the commissioner. Now, not only has Lane disappeared, but they've discovered he left a check behind. The check for $6,000 and made out to me. Well, that's what I don't see. I mean, I don't understand why it upsets you so. The check was found by Senator Galen's crowd. Maybe that fellow Bascom. Anyway, he's the one who's been harping on it in the newspaper. The implication being that the check is a legal payment to me of some kind. That Lane disappeared at my instigation and that... I've been in cahoots with him to cheat the government. They wouldn't dare say that. Not in clear and simple language, no. As I say, it's only an implication. But without Lane to Mr. prove how ridiculous... Yes, what is it, John? Uh, forgive me, sir, but a band of Seminole raiders has crossed the Florida border into Georgia. Crossed the border? Yes, sir. They've been burning and pillaging Georgia villages. They still are. Well, we'll soon stop that. Get word to the general as soon as possible to repel the attack and punish the leaders. We've been waiting for a favorable opportunity to bring the question of the Floridas to a conclusion. Now the Seminoles have given it to us. Afternoon, Mr. President. Catching anything? Huh? Oh, it's you, Bascom. No, no luck so far. 
Luck seems to run in streaks, I find. Maybe you're not using the right bait. Well, it's possible. Right bait is almighty important if you're after something worth catching. What are you driving at, son? Well, I was about to say, I wish I knew the right bait for bringing Samuel Lane to the surface. If you find what it is, I hope you'll let me know. You'll find it on the first page of my paper, Mr. President. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not always pleased with what I find on the first page of your paper. I'm sorry, sir. But what's the good of an opposition if it doesn't oppose? Well, that's quite right. It's just a matter of judgment as to what constitutes legitimate opposition and what is merely mudslinging. The way you treated the discovery of Sam Lane's check to me for $6,000, for instance. That sort of thing. But surely the country's entitled to know about it. There's an... A more important question my editor would like answered. Mm, it usually is. Is it true the general has followed the raiding Seminoles into the Floridas? Is it true he hanged two of their leaders and also executed a Scotsman and an Englishman? Those are questions I can't answer at this time, Mr. Bassett. Would the president prefer I go to the British and Spanish embassies for this information? You can go to places for all I care. I'm simply telling you, we here in Washington don't have definite knowledge as to the truth of these wild rumors. But if they should be verified... Don't this mean war? Let us fervently pray not. But if he's executed two British sub... Let us hope no such extreme was necessary. Well, if it was, this country will back up its military representative to the hilt. May I come in? Hi, honey. Please go away. I'm very busy. Oh, just for a tiny minute. It's fearfully important. All right. Come in, honey. Come in. I'll, um... I'll be 19 soon, Papa. Yes, dear. A regular grown-up young lady. Yes, that's what I mean. How's that? About being grown-up. Yes. Well, uh... Sam Gouverneur... What about him? Oh, Papa, he's asked me to marry him. He wants my permission for him to ask you and Mama... Oh, please say yes. Please say yes. Well, well, well. My little Ryan really is growing up. Oh, we've been terribly patient and, and waited, as you said. And I love him so, Papa. Oh, he's so wonderful. Goodness gracious me, my little Ryan. You will say yes, won't you? Mm, most likely, honey. Oh, you darling. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. You trying to squeeze the gizzard out of me? <laughs> I tell you, it's intolerable, John. Now, Mr. President... Where is the Secretary of War? Why isn't he here? He's on his way, sir, but... The general went entirely too far, both physically and figuratively. He'll have to suffer the consequences. May I suggest something, sir? Well, John? The general found evidence the Seminoles were led to violate our border by a Scotch gunrunner and a young British army officer. Ah, but not an armbrister. Yes, sir. He found, as we all knew, that the Spanish government of the territory was weak to the point of ineptness. So the general took possession of Pensacola, declared American law to be in force, and executed the ringleaders. Arbuthnot and Armbrister and the two Seminole chiefs. But, John, he had no right to do that. Mr. President, have you been told how he captured the two Indian chiefs? No, but what's that got to do with A it? A good deal. He had one of our ships run up the British flag and signal the chiefs to come aboard. They did. Obviously thinking they were among friends. 
and said enough to make the execution of Arbuthnot and Armbrister not only justified, but necessary. Is this all provable? To our satisfaction. If the British and the Spanish call us to account, we have our answer ready. That the days of further foreign colonization in this continent are forever ended. That the United States will from now on consider herself a sovereign ruler of the territory we dominate economically, socially, and politically. Maybe you're right, John. Maybe I should thank the general instead of berating him for giving us the chance to say that to the governments of Europe. Come in, Senator Gaylord. Come in. Sit down, won't you? Thanks, but I prefer to say what I have to say standing up. Oh, you sound ominous. Have you seen the intelligence, sir? Yes, I've seen it, Senator. They found poor Lane dead in a nursing home. And my committee intends to learn and to make public the disposition of the funds with which he was entrusted and the meaning of his check to you for $6,000. You must be very desperate for political weapons to use against me, sir. Is that your only answer? I told you some time ago to say whatever else you had to say on the floor of the Senate. Since you've seen fit to ignore me, I'll tell you something about Lane's check to me, and I'll also tell it to the newspapers. I'm most interested in whatever your story may be. Not a story. Provable facts on the record, both of my own bank account and Lane's official one. I sold my own household furnishings to the government, as you know. I believe I once envied you such a windfall. The things were sold at prices set by government appraisers to the last quarter of a cent. What's that? At a fraction of their value, as any impartial appraiser will tell you. And as the government experts themselves admitted. But it was all the nation could afford, and it was vital that the White House be as impressive in its way as any foreign palace. So I took the loss knowingly. Lane's check to me was partial payment. Not so fast. I know enough about such things to say that one man's price is hardly ever the same as another's. I expected you to take just that attitude of vague but self-righteous suspicion. So I've taken steps that even you cannot question, sir. I sold these things to the government at a time the White House was in desperate need of them. That need is not now a stringent one. Therefore, I'm digging into my own pocket to buy back the same objects. At how great a profit? At a sizable loss, Senator. I sold them to the government at the government's own prices. Now I'm buying them back at the government's own prices. You may so report to your committee just as I'm reporting to the newspapers. <laughs> John, this calls for a real celebration. You've made history today. Your signature on the treaty is what will make history, Mr. President. Now, you were right about the general's actions. To think of it, the Florida ceded to us for a paltry $5 million. <clears throat> I uh, wouldn't stress the paltriness of the sum when you make the announcement, sir. <laughs> You're right as usual, John. $5 million is nothing to sneer at, heaven knows. But in the light of the importance of the Floridas to the completion of our country, it seems quite small. The completion of our country depends from now on on our ability to make permanent the doctrine you and I have worked so long to express in words. Mm -hmm. Well, I have part of our last draft right here. Yeah, read it, John. Uh, no, sir. It's your name that will be attached to it. You read it, Mr. President. Well, it's still pretty rough, but the day should not be far distant when the world will hear it in its final form. We want no part hereafter in Europe's affairs. And by the same token, we want Europe to take no part in ours. Uh, how is it you've written it? 
We owe it, therefore, to Canada and to the amicable relations existing between the United States and those powers to declare that we should consider any attempt on their part to extend their system to any portion of this hemisphere as dangerous to our peace and safety. With the existing colonies or dependencies of any European power, we shall not interfere. But with the governments whose independence we have acknowledged, we could not view any interposition for the purpose of oppressing them or controlling in any other manner their destiny by any European power, in any other light than as a manifestation of an unfriendly disposition towards the United States. Who's there? It's your papa, Raya. Oh, come in, papa, come in. I just wanted to give the bride an extra kiss before the ceremony. Goodness gracious, you look like an angel, honey. <laughs> your wedding gown looks sweet enough to eat. Oh, thanks to mama and Eliza. Oh, you've all been such angels. Everybody's been so wonderful. Even some of the gayer in this crowd have stopped yapping at my heels like irritated puppies. The Florida question is settled, and from the way Zy Alexander has begun to backpedal, I hope to settle the Northwest Boundary question to our benefit, too. My, what a lot of history your administration has made. In a way, the most satisfying bit of history is what you're making today. Do you realize you'll be the first daughter of a president to be married in the White House? Oh, of course I do. But history will record your years in office as the era of good feeling, the Seminole campaign, and, and above all, the historic doctrine that will forever bear your name, James Monroe. President, produced and directed by Ted Toll, was created by Robert G. Jennings and written by Bernard Dougal. Third in the cast were Gene Howell as Mariah Monroe, Tom Holland as John Quincy Adams, and your narrator, Ted DeCorsia, as Senator Gala. Our story was based on incidents in the life of President James Monroe.